69. Why is that your favorite number, Doc? Is there something you want to tell us? <laughs> what? Oh, we're yes. going on because we're live. I'm a single hey. woman with no life. Hence why I'm always here. <laughs> uh, our, our benefit then. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans, it's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. So without further ado, we have two guests we'd like to introduce you to today. We're going to start with Mr. Jim Curtis. Can you introduce yourself to our listening audience? Good evening, afternoon, whatever the hell it is. Uh, I write under J.L. Curtis. I'm an old retired Navy Mustang, uh, Naval Flight Officer, and uh, I've got a few stories. All right. And next we have Mr. Law Dog, which is the most unique name we've had come on this show. Uh, I presume you actually publish under that, correct? I do. I publish under Law Dog. I am a recently retired you- Texas Peace Officer, uh, 80s era uh, U.S. military. And um, didn't set foot for longer than a month in the States until I was 16. Interesting. Where were you when you weren't in the States? Um, West Africa, Southeast Africa, Northwest Africa, and points in between. I'm noticing a theme here, though. What's that? I am. I'm picking up what you're laying down. Yes. Um, In the 70s, my father was an oil engineer. Ah. He went That'll where the was. That'll do it. I'm surprised he didn't make it into Saudi Arabia. Um, he hated Saudi. So, That's understandable. They so don't allow you, booze. That would be problematic for me. So <laughs> when you said that you were a peace officer, does that mean you were like a Texas Ranger? Because I think I saw that movie. <laughs> no, Deputy Sheriff. Rangers, whole different. You could have said yes. That would have been cool. (laughs) (laughs) We could have had an entirely new kind of ranger on the show, which would have driven Nick crazy for not being here. (laughs) That would have actually been. You know, we ought to find one of those that writes just for that reason. Oh, we know one. But uh, all right, so leg lives matter. That's right, they do. So why did you pick Law Dog as your name instead of just a generic moniker? I get you have to protect your identity because your law enforcement career, but why go for that as opposed to I don't know. Seska Small or something. At the t- I, wasn't, I wasn't a writer at the time. At the time, I was a moderator for the firing line and later the high road. And okay. I, uh, I moderated under Law Dog because, you know, it's better than you know, Noob Owner 69. And my first stories, <laughs> my first stories came out of the uh, stories I told on those uh, forums. And when I finally got around to publishing them, I realized that nobody in the internet knew who I was other than Law Dog. And if I were to try publishing them under my real name, uh, I wouldn't get it. Nobody would read them. I can understand that. Okay. And you were the eighth person off the high road and the firing line to be a published author. Mm, that sounds about right. Yeah. So what is the high road and the firing line? What are those? That oh. was a gun forum back in the 90s. 90s and early 80s. The, uh, the firing line was the first uh, one, and it was the one of the finest, well-moderated uh, bulletin boards uh, out there for guns. And he's we, patting himself on the back for that one. Which is, <laughs> I, had the legal, I had the legal and political board. That was bloody awesome. <laughs> 
And uh, the owner was very, very, very clear about there would be no shenanigans. And we were kind of ruthless about it. Yeah. I was also on it under old NFO. Uh, a few other folks that were members. Larry Correa. Larry Correa. Correa 45. I was going to ask about that. When Larry was in college. Yes. I think uh, I remember James Cochran talking about it a couple mm -hmm. times. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There was a member named Nightcrawler who turned out to be Matt Cooper. Yeah. It was internet and guns, so of course James had to be there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Peter Grant was on it. The preacher, he was the preacher man. And Cornered Rat was Oleg Volk. Yep. Well, there you go, guys. And, uh, <laughs> I just won't tell you what I was doing in the 90s, and we'll move on. I won't tell you because I'd get yelled at. <laughs> I, actually, actually, well, I can tell you what I was doing in the 90s. I was reading Ann McCaffrey, David Weber, Mercedes Lackey, Anne Wright, uh, Elizabeth Ann Scarborough, Elizabeth Moon. I mean, that works. I was mostly dodging detention and trying to get with the girls, but high school and elementary school will do that to you in the 90s. So, <laughs> wow. What? I'm just going to get the cracks all my Walter. Hey, I'm the oldest <laughs> one here. Both of you, all of you, shut up. Well, I can, I'm, get off my lawn. I'm old enough I can, if, right? I was about to say, I'm old enough I can shake my fist at the sky and yell at the kids to get off my lawn. So I've, I've, I've succumbed. I've come. I don't know. Whatever. All right, so the second part of the introduction, dear listener, is the how we first found them. And so uh, we've this is the second interview we've done from the Can't Go Home Again anthology. So like the last time, if you want the more full answer, listen to the first interview too. But uh, I first heard of this anthology from Krista Note, who I met through the Galaxy's Edge fan club, and the rest, as they say, is history. But it sounds like, uh, Doc, you have history with these people. So can you tell us how you found Jim Curtis and Law Dog? Well, you see, up in uh, Chattanooga, there's this beautiful bar, I mean, convention called Liberty Con. And, um, and that is where I met these gentlemen. So, but, you know, JR, I understand we redirected them, but just in case you either listened or you don't want to go, there, the central theme of Can't Go Home is very important and near and dear to, I think, many of our listeners, yes. but definitely everybody here. Yes, because... Yes. The central theme of Can't Go Home is that it is stories of hope of dealing with PTSD. Yes. And that is a huge killer among veterans. And it, it's not just the kill, killing the veterans, but it's also killing some of their lifestyle. As well as other people, you don't have to be a vet to have PTSD and identify with these stories. Um, responders are, are getting it bad. Yeah. First responders, people who have been in life-changing in a negative way, circumstances can all identify with these stories. And so, and many of the proceeds, several of the authors in this have, have committed to donating their proceeds of their portion of the royalties to the Mission 22 anthology, which is specifically to help vets with PTSD and suicide prevention. So I know... I think Jim Curtis is one, Christopher Denote, and Christopher said he'd match out of his own personal funds whatever was raised by selling the book. Well done. Yeah, uh, if, it, if it made number one on Amazon, and it did. Yes, but it did. this one is also available wide. It's not just through Amazon, guys. Yeah. So, and we um, know that Doc has her love affair with Bezos. 
the Oracle I do not have a love right affair with Bezos. I haven't divorced him yet, but I do have a love affair with Barnes and Noble. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, we were going to get to that when we introduced the book. But before we do that, Doc, we got to introduce the guests. See, we've got a structure. We got to get to know the guests, get to know them as nerds, then as writers. Then we talk oh, about I'm the Oh, I'm sorry. My, my, my mommy juice uh, derailed my structure. You were just a little premature. It happens to all of us as we get older. As women, we don't call it premature. We just call it multiple times. All right, moving on. So ask them the religion question. And if they sound familiar, it's because we're going to ask all of the ones from this anthology the same set. Ender's Game, Edge of Tomorrow, or Starship Troopers? Pick one of them, gentlemen. Ender's Game. Jim first. Oh, okay. <laughs> Ooh, how about you, Law Dog? What, book or movie? Either. Your call, or both. Well, Starship Troopers. The book or the movie? Okay. Book. He said okay. book. I like both for different reasons. You well, just not, like the shower scene in Starship Troopers. The same story, so you can't pick both. Yeah. It's two different stories. Though, so I, would... I actually found I, I actually found Heinlein from the movie, which I loved, is because I love campy, cheap, crappy movies. Uh, and I remember thinking, because I was talking about it when I was in um, ROTC in high school, but to the instructor, I said, yeah, but they used zero tactics. It's like they all just mass charged in waves like they were the Chinese in World War, uh, in Korean War or something. And it's, ah, because you got to read the book. And so I read yeah. the book and it wasn't what I expected because I expected an action thriller. And, and the book is more like a, a political treatise meets his worldview on philosophy and all the things. There was some action in it, but not a lot. No. See, my my mother made me read the book, but I will say as a female soldier watching the movie and how the women interacted in the infantry unit with other men as with men as basically just, oh, yeah, I happen to have a set of ovaries really did form a lot of my opinion of how I wanted to be perceived as a soldier. Yeah. There is that. Uh oh, um, there's surprising depths in Seska tonight. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, that's that's not a bad answer. Um, so, yeah, okay. I just like the campy action and killing the bugs. <laughs> I'm, I'm not that deep. Uh, I will admit, the anytime I throw a pond. big bug, all I can think of is that logo. You know the 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 motto. You want to know movie. more? The only dead bug is a dead bug, more? and I literally squish them and go die, die bug. As you should, I approve. So Peter will not, but they can send the hate mail to Seska. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. As I just say, uh, they can. Peter can send the hate mail to Seska at blastersblazepodcast.com. Why would people eating tasty animals be sending hate mail? Well, I actually in high school formed Pet P as my own organization. It's people for the ethical treatment of plants. They have feelings too, you know. <laughs> okay. I got kicked out of class for that T-shirt. I don't know why. Doc, ask him the fantasy religion question. Uh, so, Dragonheart, Aragon, or Dungeons and Dragons the movie? Dungeons and Dragons the movie. Yes! <laughs> Considering I've not seen any of them, I'd have to say, beats the hell out of me. Well, Aragon, uh, is, Aragon is just Star Wars' show numbers fouled off, which annoys me. Shh, I won't tell Christopher Flynn you said that. <laughs> I, ha I didn't oh, even know until she said this question up that there was the Dungeons and Dragons movie. So I'm both horrified and curious to, to Google this and see if it's on it Netflix. Is, you like campy movies? You will love it. 
There's actually a better right, now one. We, you know what? Go ahead. There's actually a better one. I'm uh, trying to remember what the hell the name of it is. It's a uh, small, it's campy, uh, small group of gamers. Uh, Darkness Rising. Ah, uh, I've heard of gamers. It. Darkness Rising. That's the one you should be watching. I will add this to the list. In fact, Doc, it will go on the movies we potentially review as an episode. Ooh. All right, but uh, we will write that down for later. So we here at the Blasters and Blades podcast like both the fantastical and the scientific. So what was your first love, sci-fi or fantasy? Uh, you get to go first, Law Dog. Um, that's going to be hard because my first uh, my first actual fiction love was Edgar Rice Burroughs, uh, Princess of Mars. So is it fiction was, or is it science fiction? Is it fantasy? Um, good question. Uh, I don't know. I mean, they they had tech that was futuristic, so I would call Fish. it sci-fi. Uh, swords. True, but I mean, they had swords in um, in Star Wars, and that's sci-fi ish. Ugh. Star Wars is space. So we'll call it space fantasy. We'll, we'll call we'll call that space fantasy too. Yeah, Edgar Rice Burroughs was All my right. first one. That works for me. What about you, Jim? Uh, Heinlein and E. E. Doc Smith, Arthur C. Clarke. So higher. Okay, so yours would so uh, what's your first memory of engaging in speculative fiction as a genre? Was it watching it on the TV, reading books, uh, playing games? Where did you discover the genre? We're going to – Jim, this time, you first. Uh, books when I was about 10 or 11. Do you remember the very first one? Or an early one. How about an early one? Hell, that was 60 years ago. You expect me to remember that? <laughs> yes, know. because you're not really that old. I didn't uh, know that papyrus lasted that long. Oh, shut up. <laughs> no, uh, it was stone tablets that they used back then. I would I would have to say probably Heinland. Okay. Because the small, Was it his juveniles or his adult fiction? Uh, probably the juvenile. Because Arthur okay. C. Clark and, and Doc Smith didn't really write juvenile. I didn't hit them until I was probably so what about, 11 or 12. Okay. Still an early reader and an early adapter, so we approve. All right, what about you, Law Dog? What was your first memory of engaging in speculative fiction? Um, Rory, Nigeria. And it was a worn copy of uh, Alfred Bester's The Stars My Destination. Okay, very specific. You pass mm -hmm. the test. You get a cookie. <laughs> All right, Doc. Next question is you. Well, he, he doesn't. He actually doesn't pay anybody. He just deducts their pay and hopes that they forget that they don't get paid. <laughs> yeah, still, still one of my favorite. The first, uh, it was the first science fiction book I ever read, and it's still one of my favorite books to this day. Which is? Stars My Destination. Okay. I will have to check that one I out. I, I think I read it when I was nine or ten. It's uh, very sparse. Uh, Alfred Bester was almost, um, he was very sparse, but every bit of cyberpunk that uh, today owes a great debt of gratitude to the stars my destination. Well, then we'll definitely have to check that one out. You might find it under Tiger, Tiger. It published in, in England under Tiger, Tiger. 
Okay. So, because we've done a, we've talked a bunch to the cyberpunk community. They're really awesome people. But we're here to talk about you guys. So what was your, what is it that you love about speculative fiction as a genre? Which one of you wants to go first? I guess I'll jump on that one. Jump on that hand grenade. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that sounds weird. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, I tend to write hard science fiction. So with my background, I've had access to some things a lot of people haven't. So I'm actually able to put that in the science fiction and still make it believable. But the other thing about science fiction is you don't get bogged down in reality per se, because you're not thinking about, oh, I was there or, oh, I saw this or, oh, that's a bad location or, oh, that place doesn't exist. In speculative fiction, none of it exists. And yeah, there are going to be people that'll, you know, well, you know, you really should have gone in and figured out the, uh, the home and transfer better because you missed this. Yeah. Eat a bowl of, mm. yeah, that too. Yeah. No, I, I love it when I, I listen to people who do that to like Anne McCaffrey stories. And I'm like, you do realize that she was using the science of the time. Yes. We now know more. Yeah. That annoys me. Uh, yeah. So well, now how about you, Law Dog? What's your, what is it that you love about this genre? Oh, I grew up in Africa in the seventies, uh, early eighties. That was a, an interesting time to be there. Yes. Uh, <laughs> revolution of the week. Um, I tell folks the first time I was shot at with intent, I was two years old. Um, I can believe it. They must've known you. <laughs> exactly. Uh, fun times. And then I turned around when I got out of the uh, military, I became a cop. And I've seen all of the myriad 10,000 ways man can be inhumane to man. Yeah. And um, I love I can pick up a book and be transported away. Um, somewhere nicer? Not necessarily nicer, but not here and some somewhere with hope. Because to, to quote a famous man, people are bastard-covered bastards with bastard-coated and bastard-filling. And I can pick up, even Dune, for God's sake, has hope in it. Mm -hmm. uh, well, it. It does. It has hope. Where, you know, it's not this nasty, it's not Africa in the 70s. It's not taking down a, uh, uh, the door in a meth house or um, anything else. I can pick up a book and it's different and it's glorious and there's possibilities there. And it's just fun. Yep. Yep. So. Um, okay. How did your love of science fiction or speculative fiction actually transition into writing stories in this world? I think I asked Jim answered first last time. Does he want to go first or are we going to let Law Dog go first? Wait on. Gee, thanks. There we go. What was the question? <laughs> what was the question again? How did your love of speculative fiction eventually lead into you writing speculative fiction? I, I wanted to write stories of hope. Um, you get done with a 12-hour shift, and you you don't want to watch the crap TV. Oh, look, it's Kardashians. Yay. 
um, I wanted to I wanted to transport people, give them hope, um, give them fantastic worlds to get lost in, just like I got. So I, I wanted to write worlds that would transport people and uplift people and all the good stuff. Okay. How about that you? Is actually, part of the hold on hmm? that is that that reasoning is part of the reason the VA teaches classes on writing as therapy. Because something about like venting your woes onto a page yep. and going happier places helps people. Same reason they get people in the garden. So that, that fits. That's why I write funny stories. Yeah. All right, Doc. I'm sorry I interrupted you. I probably I messed, no, I messed <laughs> fix it. I don't know what I'm doing. Doc. I don't should have given me. you the power. No, you should have given me the power. You just should have given me some training to go with it. But since you did the same thing the army did, you're stuck with what you got, just like they did. What kind uh, of training? Army training, sir. <laughs> <laughs> so, All right, Doc. Yeah, try to save stop. yourself. <laughs> Many authors draw from their own world world experiences, but were there any formidable moments that really shaped who you became as a story teller? Uh, we'll start with Jim, and then we'll ask Law Dog. Well, I guess what I did for a living was part of it. <laughs> I couldn't afford the barbells, and uh, I don't sleep on airplanes. <laughs> And I was traveling about 200 days a year all over the world in R&D for the Navy. And I was in uh, <clears throat> the firing line and then the high road. And then I looked around one day in there and a couple of people had gotten published. And I went, wait a friggin' minute. I can do this. <laughs> so my first book was a series of short stories, oddly enough, titled Vignettes. And uh, I had uh, submitted it for a number of to a number of publishers, and got told that uh, in one particular refusal that even if I vanity pressed it, I would never sell 200 copies in my lifetime. And I went, "Ha! Challenge accepted." Wow! Did that person know how to motivate you? Yeah, I've sold about five thousand of them so far. But, I really uh, hope that person's eating their crow pie. <laughs> well, that was uh, a uh, letter that I burned very cheerfully. Trust me. <laughs> oh, I, I do. I might have, I might have kept a copy just to mail it to them, and then a statement of royalties that you've earned. If I had thought about it, I probably would have Jr. But I was so pissed. It was yeah. Like, yeah. But but that's where like also, you know, the entire concept of ebooks, now I could see somebody really thinking they can do that. Yeah. But I mean indie publishing has and the ability to do ebooks versus having to use a physical book has made it so that that's much more doable. Oh yeah, I'm I am a benefactor of ebooks, no question. I mean I've I put out paperbacks too, but my sales ratio is probably 90 to 10. I'll sell 90 ebooks for every 10 art uh, paperbacks I sell. I think a lot of authors, oh, even even those who are traditionally published, find that today. Well, okay. Given the last year we had, that kind of skewed the numbers. Well, yeah. A little bit. 
Yeah, a little bit. Bit, Except for Barnes, Barnes and Noble, by the way, J Jr., who likes to nat rag on them, they still kept their stores going for online, online order and pick up at the curb, all through the pandemic. That's because their website is still circa nineteen like fifty. Yeah, but I still like to go buy my books. Wanna... I have an algorithm show them to me. Yes, but I read digitally for reasons, so. I don't need special. to go to a store for that. But special. All right. Did we? That, I've been told that before. Did did everybody answer their formidable moments, or did we just oh. get the one? Because I distract everybody and sidetrack. It happens. Um, Africa is a very verbal culture. In the seventies, there was the TV would come on for an hour every night, and there was one episode of Skippy the Kangaroo that played on loop. <laughs> oh dear God. Oh God, yes. Um, and then the company my father worked for um, hired combat veterans because they were the company was exclusively in Africa. So the uh, the owner of the company decided that folks had already been in combat could handle Africa a little better than some poor newbie right out of out of uh, school. So you know what? Saudi so Arabia did that. Uh, Aramco Oil used to do that too. They hired mostly military vets. They got the idea from NL Bayroid. Okay. Um, so I grew up around a whole bunch of Vietnam vets and Omani War British veterans and bushfire veterans. And military veterans around the world, such as combat veterans, have a very verbal um, culture. Yeah. There are a lot of storytelling. A lot of four-letter words, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I love how he's like, it's a verbal culture. It's very. Um, I used to have to Colorful. take a month before we came home <laughs> and, and sanitize my language because my mother's parents were, they were deacons. Um, oh, yeah. I, I grew up with all these military vets that told stories and around all these tribal folks that told stories. And telling stories just came naturally. It works. All right. So speaking of military service, since we talked about that in the intro, we ask all of our veterans who are also um, all of our authors who are also veterans this question. But how do you feel like your time in uniform affects the stories you tell? Uh, go with you, uh, Law Dog. Um, I, it's given me several very funny stories to tell and a whole bunch of uh, deniable stuff. <laughs> but yeah my uh my time in, the army lied to me i know that's going to be a, a surprise to a whole bunch of people no um but they, they, the lied, army. They, lied, they lied pretty hard because my 18 year old self went in the recruiter and he promised to get me back to africa because i wanted to go home and uh lying bastard never got me any further than fort hood which is like four <laughs> hours south of here Dude, mine never got me any further than bliss. <laughs> yeah, but still. Um, so I, I, I didn't form a lot of fraternal attachments. I went in the Army, uh, scary, angry young man, and came out a scary, angry, achy, slightly <laughs> older man. <laughs> well, you were dumb enough to jump out of airplanes for fun and profit. He told me I'd get laid. Again, he lied. Yeah. Hey, the one so, thing my grandfather the told me Okay, he told me two things of wisdom. Well, three things of wisdom. One of them backfired. 
One is, if you're going to jump out of an airplane, do it on the government's dime. Two, never argue with an angry NCO. And three, don't ever get stationed for bliss. (laughs) Fucker, that was my duty station. (laughs) So, wow. I remember when I enlisted in the Guard, my recruiter telling me that, don't worry, you'll never get deployed. In 1998, CNN ran a piece that world peace might finally be her, uh, attainable. And uh, my recruiter insisted that the Guard would only be deployed after the Boy Scouts and the Ladies Auxiliary had been uh, called up. Uh, oh, he lied to you. He was wrong. Yeah, so, so I my recruiter it. Course- was One second. My recruiter was right. He, I overheard him telling my mom, don't worry. The chances of her being a line medic are very small, and because that's all I wanted to be. Fucker. I'm still angry. Not that you're still bitter. Not so, bitter. And they promise bitter, you I'm not the bitter. World. I'm just black coffee in my soul. So that's the one thing they forgot to mention as a line item on the see the world is that everywhere they would send me to see would be people would hate me for being there and want to shoot me and kill me. I uh, thought that I was just picturing like you were there, JR. well, it's possible, but I was thinking see the world like I'd get to go to Germany and see cool stuff or I don't know Hawaii and surf with the dolphins or something. And no, they send me to a desert to get shot at. Yeah, for two and a half years. At least you got paid for it. I was in the desert getting shot at, not getting paid for it. (laughs) (laughs) This is true. At least I got blood money. All right, so Law Dog, what about you? How do you feel like your time in the service affects the stories you tell? I think I just answered that. He answered it. My turn. He answered Oh, Oh. (laughs) I'm sorry. I distract myself even. It's it's bad. No, you just can't tell them apart. Ouch. Well, my my career basically runs from Vietnam to the first Gulf War, and I was in both of them, so... Uh, that definitely impacts. Uh, even though I was in aviation, primarily flying along a patrol aircraft. But the pluses, minuses, I've been all over the world, literally. And I've seen the third world in action. I've seen communism up close and personal. <coughs> yeah. And uh, <laughs> in the Navy, we did a thing called HADR, which was... Uh, Basically, we would, when we deployed, we deployed for six months at a time. And we would normally go to a base somewhere to fly out of. Philippines, uh, Japan, Iceland, Bermuda, uh, Lodges, Guam, uh, various other places, Sigonella, Sicily. Uh, Fucking now- Fort Hood. <laughs> Sorry. And uh, we would take on a project. Usually it was an orphanage. That was kind of the thing that we liked to do. We would find a local orphanage, and there are a hell of a lot of them outside the U.S., trust me. And we would go in and basically spend probably four to 5,000 man hours uh, helping them rebuild stuff, paint stuff, uh, fix the place up, get it wired. We had a corpsman that, uh, in a couple of the squadrons that's, and a doc that spent most of their time at the orphanages trying to get the kids better. Uh, Health care is nowhere near what we have in the U.S., even as bad as it is today. So uh, that, that kind of impacted uh, 
quite a bit. And then with what I did in the military, uh, I got to go places and do things basically on my own. One crew, one airplane deaths all over the world. And uh, Back in the 80s, a junior officer could still be an officer in charge, which, yeah, don't happen today. So I've been as far north as the North Pole and as far south as uh, New Zealand, Chrysler's New Zealand, and pretty much everywhere in between. Got the shit scared out of me more than once. Got shot at a few times. Uh, participated in a few things that uh, will never be written about and some that have been. But yeah, it affects my writing. I don't write about the military per se, because uh, I really don't want to go to Leavenworth. <laughs> we would like you to stay right where you are having fun writing amazing stories. Just saying. Yeah, you and me both. So that's the one thing I will say that and I think anyone that's in their time in service saw the rest of the world visited other countries. I don't think most Americans realize quite what a bubble they live in that the rest of the world does not. Oh, hell no. They don't even Protections and freedoms. Well, bearing in mind that until I was 16, I would spend one month out of every year stateside. The rest of the time I was in Africa. And... People in America, even to, even to now, annoy the absolute way out of me sometimes. Oh, my God, we have it so bad. No. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen a woman doing calculations on which child to sell in order to feed the rest of them. Yep. So suck down your soy mocha latte, get off your damned iPhone, and shut the hell up. Yep. Tell us Thank how you me. really feel. Well, I, I will so, admit, you do not want to get me started. Getting off the iPhone helps a lot because that thing sucks you in like an intellectual black hole. Well, what I want to know is yeah, where the androids are confusing. Are all these goddamn panhandlers getting iPhones, or are these Obama phones? I don't care. It's I, I really don't care. When I'm a panhandler's just, got a better phone than I have, I got a problem with it. Well, our, let's face uh, it, Jim. Our poor people live better than ninety percent of the world. The yeah. rich people in ninety percent of the world. Yeah. So it doesn't surprise me in the least. What surprises me is the fact that they have the nerve yeah. to get their panties in a bunch over their perceived injustices. Yeah. Well, there there are some things. America's not perfect. There are some things we can definitely work on on changing. But today we're here to talk about can't go home. Yeah. So, I mean, I love my country too. We have some flaws, though. And um, but today we're here to talk about the humans are flawed. That's simple way of it. We all are. Um, some more than others. Jared, do you have? (laughs) No, no, I got the next one. I just didn't want to interrupt. Um, but uh. Yeah. See, so, I'm do you ever draw on people? Do you ever, Jim? Do you ever draw from people that you knew while you were in the military? Uh, all of my characters are composites. Contrary to some of the okay. emails that I've gotten, no, it was not your daddy. <laughs> you laugh. You saw that. I, I'd be really worried if you. It was my daddy. 
but yeah, I, I, I do composites. There, there are uh, certain people that that may or may not uh, end up in novels. <laughs> okay. certain what about you, Law Dog? You scrub the serial numbers off well enough. I generally, I don't, I don't do people uh, from the military that much. I do tropes from the military. Yeah. Uh, uh, the tropes from the military so, make a good base for a character. Which tropes are you speaking of for people yeah. that might not be familiar? Um, okay, the grouch. You know who can't do math? The grouchy, first, the grouchy first sergeant, the disappearing warrant officer, um, the <laughs> clueless second lieutenant. I hate second lieutenants. Miscreant E4s. Miscreant E4s. Oh, God, hey. Miscreant E4s. Hey. So hey. far, you haven't said anything that wasn't just factual. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but each one of those is a wonderful trope you can work into a character. Yeah, and, and, and remember, you got the 212 things Skippy can't do in the Army anymore, too. Yeah, well, I know so, that I'm secretly their favorite and E4, so... <laughs> So the uh, the other part of that is just because of the nature of when I served, because I like I said I went in in '98 and I was out in '07, is I was the the tail end of the the old '80s era Cold War veterans getting out. So like my platoon sergeant in Iraq was a nom vet. Uh, I deployed with people that were really that literally got the go to war, or go to jail speech when they got arrested the first time. Oh, yeah. sure. uh, they I were at the. So I mean I, I just they I don't think that even happens anymore, at least not officially. Although small towns are going to small town. Nineteen ninety six. Nineteen ninety six. I picked up a young man for his second shot at thumping his mama, on top of multiple uh, misdemeanor uh, ticketed marijuana offenses. And the sheriff and I drove him into Amarillo, and we pulled up outside the recruitment center. The young man said, "What am I supposed to do?" And the sheriff said, "Enlist." And he said, no. And the sheriff said, no, I'll beat your ass out here until you enlist. And he went in and enlisted. <laughs> and four, no, eight years later, he came home. Um, he'd done four years in the Marines and four years in college and was making a, uh, a very good go of it. And it pointed out that we had violated his constitutional rights under the 13th Amendment to no slavery. <laughs> and the sheriff said, and yeah. your point is... <laughs> <laughs> well he got paid yeah sort of <laughs> I mean, yeah I nope. mean it's not really that's not actually the constitutional right that they you they you violated but that's okay yeah, yeah so, lawyer gonna barracks lawyer <laughs> yeah jr you talk about uh serving with vietnam vets i my command master chief was a world war ii aviation pilot so he was army air corps no, he was no. Navy. Well, enlisted, you were Navy, so Navy enlisted pilot, flew in VF three off the original Enterprise. Damn. He was slightly crusty. One of my babysitting uncles when I was six years old was named Chuck, Uncle Chuck, and my father was fond of saying that not all of Chuck came back from Vietnam. Yeah, and. Uh, my folks came home from party one night and discovered that Uncle Chuck was teaching my brother and I the proper method of sensory removal with a knife. <laughs> and my dad went, all right, and went to bed. My mom lost her poo. 
I was about to say, what's wrong with that? I mean, that's just good uncling right there. Dad went, eh, okay. Mom went, why are you teaching my children to knife a century? And Chuck looked at her and said, because they might have to. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You see, this, is how mess, this is how different my, the role reversal in my family is. Because my dad would have been the one flipping out. And my mom would be going, just make sure you know which side of the line they're on and go to bed. <laughs> okay, role reversal. My mother was the one that taught her eight-year-old sons how to make nitrogen triiodide. Yeah. Dude, I like your mom. Okay, I heard <laughs> the entire freaking out about the getting rid of the century thing. I like your mom already. And the, okay. the black powder when so, we were trying, when we were trying okay, to build I may or may not have taught my Viking child how to make a fireball. I think what I'm adopting the all of them. Do? They left all me right. alone with them. I mean, in, in your defense, they left you without adult supervision. Uh, so does your time in the service affect the way you engage with stories, uh, be they written, um, TV, et cetera, as a reader, not as a writer? Uh, Jim, does does you think your time in the, in the military affects how you engage in content? Oh, yeah. Very much so. Uh, and I guess the two biggest reasons is that I'll wall a book is the perfect character, which I hate. And when they do the weapons or tactics, wrong. That's to be period correct. Has to be period yes. correct. Okay. I, 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 wait one second. I like what he said is period correct. Yep. Because that's very important. Because things do change over time in the military. Well, oh, they change over time everywhere, sister. I I understand that, but I but I've I've listened to people who who rant and rave, and I'm like, but for the time period it was in, that actually makes sense, guys. Come when on. I in, when I was in high speed low drag, you had a uh, um, M16 with a Seymour uh, forward mounted heads up or a red dot sight. And if I if I'm if I'm watching high speed low drag guys uh, allegedly in 1980 Cold War late Cold War military, and I see them using a C clamp and uh, you know C clamp firing platform and uh, you know gear that's way out and they do it all the time and it annoys the crap out of me. Yeah, um, and you know we chicken winged. We, when we were firing the, the uh, M16s, we chicken winged it. That's what we did. Yep, and we that's had the that, way you were taught. We had an idiot heel to toe Groucho Marx advance when firing. Yeah, guys, but I just. But guys just, in, in the 2000, 2010s did it totally different. Yeah. So if I'm yeah. reading something or watching I, something that's set in one period and they're doing stuff on another period, you have no idea how bad that annoys me. But but that's that's so what I mean. It's thing, important for the readers to, to understand and our listeners to get that. Yeah. That's an so important. One thing people don't factor in. One thing people don't factor in when it comes to tactics is how much of it's a, a yin and a yang call and response to what the other guy's doing. So you develop defensive tactics as they develop offensive tactics and vice versa. So when everyone started wearing the flag jackets, you went from a side silhouette profile because it makes you harder to hit because there's less of you exposed to front yeah. facing, which gave you that weird crab walk. 
in a uh, hunched back because you were trying to put your your body armor forward because if you're going to get hit, let the let the plate stop it. And so well, when that, I see that's one of the things you can tell the folks I was and I was up against uh, both prior and during military were Soviet Socialist Republic trained. It was uh, okay. basically KGB surrogates with you know Russian or Soviet military doctrine training. Yes. The ones you were up against were a bunch of uh, insurgents with Iranian. This we got this from Hollywood or Bollywood training. Yeah, and that changes the whole dynamics well, of the situation. Got well, yeah, that in, the in their dynamic. defense, I did see their training video, and they did monkey bars. So, <laughs> yeah, everybody's that. seen that. Yes, I laughed for so. Time. So, law dog did. Did you weigh in on how it uh, affects how you engage in content, your, your military service? Yes, uh, very much so. If I okay. see something set in the 80s, it better have 80s doctrine and uh, everything. Uh, also, I just make it sure. And also, it's um, the roles. Yes. Um, if I've got some E4 smart assing a major in a book or a movie, well, that's we're done with that one. Um, I, I will admit I did read one book and it was very funny and it was a very similar cir circumstance. Junior enlisted soldier, smart mousing about a mid rank officer, and it was glorious watching what happened smarting next. Or smarting two, smarting two, and it was glorious what happened next in the book. And I I giggled and See, laughed so that, hard. That doesn't bother me if, but it's you know I, I read one the other day. Well, I partially read one. It's somewhere behind the couch right now. Because it had something about E4 smart-assing a, uh, a major and a major taking it. Huh. No. It's like, well, the, it, okay. it's, one thing, I will say this as an E4. I did occasionally say some things where people just looked at me and they went, they could not. And I was told later they couldn't decide if I was smart-mouthing them or not. Because as you both have seen, I can have a very deadpan delivery. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like you know. So the, the trick the, is the next the next better have a CSM ripping a strip off that E4. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't. Right. That's what I'm saying. Sometimes if you if it happens, the major generally will be nice because he knows he's got the sergeant major, the first sergeant, whoever oh, yeah. that's gonna come up behind and take that guy behind the woodshed. There's gonna be a little bit of wall-to-wall -wall counseling, and noses might be bloody, but lessons will be learned. It's okay, it builds character. Yes. Oh, I, that's I what they told me when they thumped me around. <laughs> that's what I told my son when he was crying into his vegetable stew that he didn't have vegetables. I, I saw that back in the 70s where literally E7 took his, took his khaki shirt off and said, all right, let's go out behind the line shack and went out and beat an E5 into the ground and said, now, you want to go back to work or you want me to write you up? And E5's laying there going, hey, work. Yeah, we never, and that was it. Command Sergeant Major reached out and grabbed the uh, uh, PFC's entire face, yeah, and just line pitched him down the uh, parade ground. It's like, oh, that boy done screwed up, yeah. Uh, he must have had his hands that. in his pocket and walked on the grass. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one more example so, you know, James Young, Colonel, yeah. yeah. Yeah, James yeah. Young, yes. Colonel Young. Yeah, Colonel Young. Uh, I wrote a short story for him for one of his uh, anthologies. 
and he came back and mentioned that uh, I had made a mistake on the aircraft that I was using. And I sent him an email back and I said, James, I realize you're a PhD in history, but I was there. I know what airplanes were flying out of both locations. And it was this and this. And I get this frowny face back and he goes, well, shit. <laughs> and that was the end of meditating on my story. <laughs> there we go. So yeah, attention right. to detail. Is hmm. All right. We, we get to dive into the individual story. So question 14 is you, Doc. Wait, this is fandom question, JR. Not individual stories. So Oh, I jumped the gun, but still 14. Okay, I can do the math, all right? <laughs> Ish. I, guess, I don't think your alma mater taught very good math, but we'll One, go on. Two, many, many more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Fingers and toes. Has anyone asked for your math audit? From the, I was going to say, I, I learned my math from the Tootsie Roll Owl. One, yeah. two, three. <laughs> Say again, Cisco. All right, Doc, I'll shut up. Thank you, gentlemen. Okay, so has anybody asked for your autograph away from... Has anybody asked for your autograph? Oh, yeah. Yes. Okay, got a funny story about it? Oh, uh, they had to scrape me off the ceiling. <laughs> it was my first Liberty Con, actually. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Yeah, first Liberty Con. And I'm I'm twitchy around crowds, uh, badly badly twitchy. <laughs> yes, um, I'm twitchy around people. Period. And the Conovers uh, showed up, and <laughs> I love the Conovers. Um, uh, warrant officers, military intelligence, great folks, and Mrs. Conover Squeed. <laughs> and do oh dear want- God, that would scare me too. Yeah, and she wanted my, and I gave her my first ever autograph. And then oh, so I went to the bar and slammed three old fashions in a row. <laughs> Damn, nice. Trying to get my hands to stop shaking. Wait, wait, wait. Was that when we were in the ch- the choo choo? I was yep. in the choo choo. Yeah. Okay, so what what year was that? 2016? Hell, 2016, I don't I think. Oh, dude, I was probably the one pouring you the old fashioned. Were you wearing a blue lace bustier? We will not talk about what I wear at cons. <laughs> if so, I think that was a yes. If so, she was pouring the, the booze. Yeah. yeah. And I was so, in a corner slamming booze, trying to get my hands to stop shaking. Yes, we, we, I, I remember that, I think, actually. So, how about you, Law Dog? That was Law Dog. <laughs> oh, sorry. Where's <laughs> that? We do it now. Jim, how about you, please help me? I forgot the damn question. <laughs> How do you do? You have a cool story about having somebody asking for your autograph? Uh, yeah, kinda. Uh, <laughs> I was actually driving down the highway, going to uh, driving down I ninety five, and somebody recognized my license plate. And that pulled, doesn't sound stalkerish at all. I pulled into uh, a rest area in North Carolina, just matter of fact, just north of Fort Bragg. And 
this guy gets out of the car, comes over and goes, are you old NFO? I said, yeah, that's me. He goes, hang on a second. And he runs back and pulls a copy of vignettes out of the car <laughs> and comes over and goes, would you sign this? Uh, sure. <laughs> How the hell did you, he says, and then he told me who he was and I forget now. But he was on the high, the high road in the firing line. You recognize the old yeah. NFL? Yeah. you got vanity plates, which is why I never have vanity plates. Yeah. Well, that was why I could find a car in a damn parking lot in D.C. Yeah, that's fair. I, I mean, I want to do it because I don't believe in giving the government that much extra money. But now, I've, had, I've had some, some funny interactions with some of my readers, though. So... Have you spotted anybody reading any of your books out in the wild? Yes. Yep. Okay. Which book, guys? Come on. Mr. Yes, No Questions. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. We're an hour into this. You can't change your MO now. Um, the first the first one I published was a lot of files. It was a collection of short stories, funny short stories um, from law enforcement career. And uh, I had written a story in there about a female DA that I, I crossed with while I was chasing a, a meth hound. Um, she ran in the women's bathroom and I ran in after her, not realizing it was women's bathroom in the courthouse. And sure. as, I, as I was kicking open stalls, I kicked open stall and here's the lady DA. Um, and she pointed and I went off after. It was, it was a bad time. Um, I wrote about that and eight years later, I was going to the DA's office of a warrant and looked into the uh, office where this lady DA in that story, that was her office, and she's sitting there reading a copy of my book. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, you're about to get chapter 14, and that's going to be bad. I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah. How I about was, you? I was down at uh, Quantico, down in the exchange down there. went down there and grabbed something to eat. And uh, was in a little food court and looked over and a guy had my second book in my first series and he was reading it. And it was like, damn, I'm impressed. And it was a Marine staff sergeant. Now, I did not have the guts to go over and introduce myself. <laughs> no, I can't do that. I can't do that. Yeah. Don't interrupt them. What? Don't interrupt a Marine NCO. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so what is your funniest story of a fan interaction? Jim, we'll let Law Dog sort through what he's got. All right. Uh, there are probably two. One is a 70-year-old lady out in West Texas. Now, you have to understand, my first series was a niche series. It was written to make sure the guns were all right and the characters were imperfect. Okay. So this email from this 70-year-old lady out in West Texas who goes, you son of a bitch, you killed my favorite character. Why did you kill Juanita? <laughs> and I went, er, what the hell do I say? You know, I had to. It she worked for the story? Huh? It yeah. worked for the story? Yeah. She has become one of my biggest fans and one of my alpha readers. Wonderful. Another one is a gent who went online, you used Google Earth to see if there really was 
a dumpster behind the bank in Fort Stockton, Texas. Oh, and dear heavens. And sent me a picture of it. And said, there really was one. I said, yes, I know. I've actually been there. So, you know, the, the phrase, the devil into the details, these, oh, these people have proven my counter phrase, which is, so are the fans. Yep. And that's why I have the reputation that I do for writing accurate books. How about you, Law Dog? Well, the most recent will be the uh, email I got exclaiming. Uh, I I did a, a short story for it. It came from the trailer park. Yeah, and yes. I, I, I let, I kind of got weird. Um, and I got an email saying, I never, ever, I never, ever thought I'd say this, but thank you for the um, interesting yet tasteful use of hentai in the trailer park. <laughs> Yeah, this is oh dear heavens! <laughs> yeah, can you say the name of this of where this story can be found again for anybody who is curious? It came from the trailer park, <laughs> and I think my story's midway through. It involves tasteful hentai, uh, a hippie goblin goblin commune, and uh, gray aliens getting what's coming to them. And it involves tentacle porn. Hentai, yeah. Um, <laughs> I also have a story in that one. <laughs> Three Ravens Publishing actually is, yeah. the, is the one to post it. Well, there you go, JR. You can go check it out. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't know what you think I do in my spare time, but that's not it. Well, I don't know what it is you do with your spare time. <laughs> don't ask, don't tell. It's still in effect here. Tasteful hentai. Yeah. Okay. All right, I'll, uh, I'll add that to the list of things that are on the maybe, probably, never list. <laughs> all right, Doc, are, are you done with your fandom questions? Have you gotten it all out of your system? Uh, never, but go ahead. Okay, I just want to make sure you didn't want to add some on because you know I know this is important to you. All right, so this is the part of the... This is the part of the interview where we talk about everything they have written. So starting with you, Jim, can you give us the Reader's Digest version of everything you've written? <sighs> well, I've got the Gray Man series, which is six books, Cops versus Cartel down on the border, current fiction, uh, Rimworld series, which is three books right now, probably six total in the end, uh, military science fiction. I just started an 1870s Western series called The Bell Chronicles. Uh, got anthologies out called Cal Exit and Tales Around the Supper Table. And a second one of those coming in uh, probably about three weeks. And the fourth Rim World will be up by December, by Christmas. Woohoo! Ah, an overachiever. I like it. All right. And what about you, Law Dog? What does uh, your body of work look like? Uh, I've got both Law Dog Files uh, books out. I've got um, currently squabbling over getting my rights back. Um, I've got multiple anthologies out and three works and projects uh, in pro uh, progress. All right. And while all of those sound fascinating, if you're watching this on YouTube, you'll already see the book cover up. But today we're talking about the Can't Go Home Again anthology, which was uh, revolves around the topic of, of PTSD and sort of those issues associated with. But Jim, what made you decide to participate in this anthology? Was it just 
generically, you like you know those kinds of issues, or was there something specific? I hope they've got time because I'm <laughs> going to be talking for a while. Uh, basically, I got told I was writing a story. That sounds like cedar. Oh, uh, well, you have to understand there are a number of us that get together every weekend over here for dinner on Saturday night. And the cooking rotates through, but I end up hosting it. So there have been now two anthologies plus this one being the third one that have come out of our discussions around the supper table. So I was politely told I was going to write the story. So I did. Okay. And uh, that was efficient. I. Yeah. And now I will let Lotto talk you? for the next 20 minutes. Oh, God, I won't talk quite that long. <laughs> um, critical incident stress and PTSD has been, a, uh, been an interest of mine since 1997. I attended a Caliber Press speech level seminar, and the second day of it was about uh, critical incident stress. And I got uh, very interested in it because we had a lot of folks uh, first responders have a lot of PTSD, and we were starting to get folks um, at, into the Audis from uh, the military. Veterans are transferring over to first responders, and we're bringing the PTSD with them. Um, fast forward, I've been writing on my blog for a while, and out of the blue, I got email, which was kind of interesting because I hide the email on my blog. Uh, so if you actually find it, I figure you're dedicated enough. I might ought to read what you're emailing me. And it was from a therapist in Houston. And she opened my saying, you realize you have a screaming case of PTSD, right? And I kind of twitched this and sent back, no, actually, I don't. Um, when I got my psyche vow to be a peace officer, uh, they cleared me, no PTSD. And she said, I know who does those evals. He's a hack. You've got PTSD. <laughs> All right. So I started looking at it and the damned, I might have a little bit of just a, a little bit of PTSD. Well, come this year and Cedar said, and then the, the way only Cedar can do, she said, if you want to write a story, you can, but you don't have to. Which meant, of course, I had to write a story. <laughs> yep. Sounds like our lady. Yeah. And that was one of the rougher stories I've written. Yeah, these kind of stories can take it out of you. So I, I yeah, get I, that. I, um, I, when I finish writing, I usually do a, uh, a once-over to knock the edges off and clear up the gaping uh, holes, you know, misspellings and double words and everything. I got done with that one, banged it off to Cedar and said, I can't reread this, clear anything that's obvious error and go. Yeah. I, yeah. All right. So normally we would take a second to talk about the cover, but we got the lady that created the cover in the last interview. So if you really want to hear that, check out that last interview. Um, but it is amazing. It fits the exactly what the story is trying to do. So we will move on because we're an hour in and we've got more stories to tell. So, um, Doc, if uh, well, you know what? First, let me read the uh, the blurb for the anthology. We did not have that last time because it wasn't out yet. But um, <clears throat> men and women who lay their life uh, on the line never escape unscathed. And when the time comes to return home. 
they find a wall between them and loved ones. The tales, these tales follow those who gather the hope of being healed and tearing down those walls that have sprung up between them and their loved ones. No one ever said it would be easy. Um, I actually think there's a, uh, a song that said it best called uh, uh, Memoirs of PTSD. It was written through a therapy program, but it's, they told you how to wear the uniform. They never told you how to take it off. Mm. Yep. That just basically sums up what that the goal of this was to try to help people figure out. So, Doc, let's uh, dive into the first set of stories because they each wrote one, and you okay. get to ask <clears throat> you get to ask Mr. Curtis about his story. Okay, so what was your to- story titled, Jim? Oh, why are you looking at me? Oh, home for Christmas. <laughs> home for Christmas. Okay. So what was the basic synopsis of your short story for those who haven't read it yet? It's a Vietnam veteran father, ex, uh, basically PBR skipper in Vietnam as an ensign, retired as a captain, has two adopted sons. One goes to the Marine Corps, one goes in the Navy. So which but one was his daughter? Didn't have a daughter. Oh, you missed the bad joke. So, uh, they both go into combat. They both lose people. And uh, they come home for Christmas. And by this point, the old man is out and retired. And he finally tells them why what their names are based on. And those are the people that he lost off his uh, PBR in Vietnam. That's pretty heavy. So, well, and his wife helped him get through the PTSD and became a counselor in Norfolk. So she talks to the boys' wives and they agree to work together to more or less bring them home. Because one of the big fears of the military is, and even back in our day, was that if you went to psych, you were in trouble. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, I think as much as the Army tries is has tried to work past that stigma, I think it's still a stigma oh, today. Yeah. Well, if you were an aviator and you went to psych, you were immediately grounded forever. So, yeah, it's... There's a couple other branches where it's a, it, it has a history of causing issues, like similar. Yeah. Um, so what was your inspiration behind this story? Uh, a friend of mine who was actually a PBR skipper in Vietnam that I worked with. And uh, something very similar happened to him. So I just basically scrubbed the serial numbers off and expanded a little bit. So because I knew people that were coming back uh, from the Gulf and I was over there doing some stuff. So uh, I had some pretty, pretty good feedback from folks that were boots on the ground over there. Yeah. Um, so I know Cedar talked about this is a very genre fluid anthology not as in not even every story is um what we'd consider speculative fiction so does this story fit into a larger universe 
It probably could, but I wouldn't write that. Okay. That is totally illegitimate. Um, so a fun one kind of for the road is if you could live, well, you have, we have lived in this world. JR, these questions really don't apply. So your well, turn. In my defense, I did, hold on. In my defense, I didn't know what kind of stories they were because it was possible they could all go everywhere. Well, yeah, everything Cedar had told us, everything in this, this is really, if you haven't, if you're listening to this and you, all of these stories can really, there is something literally for everybody in this anthology. Right. Not everything is speculative fiction. Cedar pounded it into my little head that the thread, the common thread was hope. Yeah. Yeah. So every story. I actually, I actually, I actually resonate with that. My youngest son is named after uh, uh, my best friend who didn't come home. So. Yeah, I, I can really relate to that. Yeah. So the um, wow, that's that's heavy. So uh, you thought you were out of the hot seat, but Law Dog, you get to go next. So what was your story titled? Uh, Memories like dust. All right. And what would be the basic synopsis of this short story? Um, the basic basic synopsis is a uh, Afghani that. Uh, now working for a small sheriff's office, who had survived a, a uh, IED attack on a vehicle, um, comes across a um, car accident. Um, a drunk uh, drunk driver uh, caused car accident, uh, killing a, a girl and uh, badly injuring another one, and he's having to save her. And it kicks him off into an anxiety attack that he doesn't recognize. And um, it's about the distancing, distancing from society and the overwhelming feelings of failure that build up and build up that aren't actually um, there and ends up with, um, you need to find, it's difficult. It's, it ends up, with you, you know, it's okay to look for help, and it's that's there's, there's a lot of stuff in it. Uh, it was based off of a lot of things. Uh, one was an Afghani vet that was one of my kids. Um, I was a lieutenant, and he was one of my corporals in the sheriff's office. And I went outside one day. Uh, doing something and he was sitting uh, on a curb by his vehicle and just, he was full on freaked out. And um, I, I pulled the anxiety um, from my studies and from similar episodes I've had. Um, the brain, the human brain is actually a advanced enlarged uh, nasal organ. Uh, sense of smell is very basic to, to the human animal. And I kicked off every part of uh, the character's um, attacks uh, were kicked off by smells. And then I had the PTSD whispering to him from the shadows. And it's, it's, it's so, a rough one. It's a so this story. sounds like this was also much like 
the uh, gems. This was also set in modern times, so I'm going to yeah. assume that, yeah. uh, that those questions well, it's, don't it's apply for you either. Afghanistan. It's post Afghanistan. I didn't. I didn't uh, put a date or anything on it. I wanted anybody reading it, any any modern veteran reading it, to be able to uh, to apply apply it. So I didn't put any. It's just post Afghanistan. Yeah, the uh, the sense of smell is huge. Like I can't smell oh, yeah. bacon. I'll, I'll eat it, but I can't be around cooking bacon because it smells yeah. like cooking other things. Yep. And yep. Uh, and so I get that. In fact, one of the the first coping strategies they gave us at the VA when I was first uh, taken to the to the residential psych facility when I first got home. Well, when I first got diagnosed uh, and sobered up, was they uh, keep candles around because the scent of lavender for whatever reason has a calming effect. So you'll never find me without a, a lavender candle nearby for those very reasons. It's because smell is such a, a huge trigger for people. Well, the, uh, the one of the cop, cop, coping mechanisms that he's dealing with uh, or that he uses is a cigar. Because the cell, smell of cigar that. yeah, uh, uh, reminds him of celebrations. Yeah, I can see that, definitely. Does not want to All right. Damn, the only thing I miss about my time in Iraq is that we used to get the Cuban cigars over there dirt cheap because there was no embargo between. Yeah, but the they were shit cigars. They weren't the good ones. They were. Uh, JR standards are low. Ones. How many times do we guys have to? Do I have to tell you guys? Well, well, actually, the cigars, fair, but the cigars my character smoking are Cohibas. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the the guy outside of Scania was able to get you some good stuff. I don't know what truck it fell off the back of, but uh, they were they were labeled Cuban and it was good. And I just didn't ask any questions. Nope. I actually bought a humidor for while I was over there that I kept in my wall locker that I still have. That's just all the writing on it is in Arabic. At some point in time, I imagine I'll pass it down to to my sons because I don't actually smoke anymore. Um, having an asthmatic wife will, will cure you of that addiction. Oh, yes. <laughs> so, but yeah, I, I could definitely appreciate the the value of a fine cigar. Well, um, you, so you had one advantage that we didn't have, Jr. You got it documented, and you got treatment. We came back from Vietnam; we didn't get shit. Well, this that's, is true. That's, they they learned a one of one of the male things, one of the male laws, and I don't disagree with it. Is handle your shit. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I, I agree that a man should handle his shit. However, yeah. <laughs> however, that doesn't mean that if you can't handle it, you can't ask for help. And too many veterans, too many first responders won't ask for help. Oh yeah. Well, that's here's the thing though, and and I I doubly got this dose because of being both a medic and a soldier. So it was definitely like you need to handle your shit because you got to take care of everybody else's. Mm -hmm. Sometimes handling your shit is asking for help. Exactly. Yeah. Doesn't mean doesn't mean you can't have other people help you. And that's something. Some I briefly touch on. I, I used to used to teach a class on critical incident stress. And I I used to you know if you don't take anything else from this class, understand that physical injury, physical trauma. If you break a leg, you go get treatment, it hurts, somebody treats you, you take medicine for it, it gets better, it will hurt every now and then from then on, but you're okay. Yeah. There is no difference between physical trauma 
and mental, emotional, psychic trauma. You're hurt. Somebody's going to have to help you because just like if you don't get help for the broken leg, if you don't get help for the broken psyche, you ain't going to heal right. Yep. Somebody needs to help you and understand that there's going to be times in the future when it's going to pop up again. But it will get better. It may take a while. You'll backslide, but you're going to get better. And that's one of the reasons that those of us that were Vietnam vets showed up at airports when y'all came back from the Gulf. Yeah. We wanted you to know you were being met by people. I think I remember during, um, what was it called? It was after, after 9-11, there was a point where people were feeling very frustrated and it was one of the greatest things. It was these people deserve your support, even if you don't agree with what the government is having them do. Because unfortunately, once you join, you don't have an option about what you do much after that. We were getting spit on coming back from Vietnam. I know. We were getting fake blood or sheep's blood thrown on us going through the airports. And uh, people are dickheads. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Luckily, I think a people, people person and then people ruined it. Yeah, you know they keep doing that. Bastard coated <laughs> bastards with. Crunchy bastard filling. Yep. Yeah, just as long oh as they don't make a mess and bleed. All right, enough on that one. Bleed on my on. good carpets. We're good. All right. So clearly, before we get too uh, too tipsy or or too honest, uh, clearly this interview is winding down. But before we wrap this up, was there anything about the Can't Go Home Again anthology that we didn't ask uh, that you want to tell us about, um, Jim? I think if. If you don't like all the stories, that's fine. But please read both the forward and the afterward because Dorothy Grant uh, put some nice words in the afterward <clears throat> about books that, that both men and women can read that she has found to be successful dealing with Peter. And if nothing else, that's, that's a takeaway. His case, Peter's case of PTSD makes mine look mild. Yeah. Uh, I allude to those books in my story, but I don't name them because I knew they were going to be named later. But what we're trying to do is give people a positive, uh, a positive avenue to get help or to know that there's a way out. Regardless of what you did in the military, from boot camp on, it's going to change you. And that's probably the hardest thing for for families to understand. Even when you come home from boot camp, you're a different person. Well, in even in military feelings, I mean, my mom's an army brat, and I came home a different person. And you would think being an army brat, she'd get it, especially because her, her father went to Nam. You yeah. get it. And she talked about how he didn't come back the same person. But no, it's still different. A lot of chucks left in the jungle. Yeah. Um, I'd like to point out, we, we wrote this for people with PTSD. Uh, because to this day, even though we're really trying, we really are, there's still a stigma attached. You've got PTSD. Oh, my God. You yeah. know, oh, my, holy shit. He's got PTSD. There's still a stigma attached. 
Um, so, you know, we wrote, we wrote stories with uh, the thread of hope, but also it's not just for the vets. I wrote yeah. a story to let people who've never had an anxiety attack know what one feels like. If you know someone with PTSD, they might not want to read the story, the anthology, and that's fine. Their mm-hmm. family might get something out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Family I, I, might get some understanding. That first, if you've never had a panic attack, a true panic attack, you don't know what it is. I, I, I was really lucky. I was around a friend when I had one of my very, like a super bad one for the first time. And she goes, you're, you're not dying. It's okay. And I'm like, I didn't say I was dying. She's like, stop it. Breathe. So it can be hard. I, I go into attack mode and I can't get out of it. And that really sucks. All right. That, uh, that it does. But uh, therapy is out there. So the, uh, the Veterans Administration has places. The Vet Center. Therapy's uh, out 22, there. There's a bunch. Friends are out there, too. Out. Even some even some churches, but the, the the solution is rarely at the bottom of a bottle. So yeah, get help. Not at the bottom um, of the bottle, and it is nothing permanent. You will get better. It may take a while, and you're going to backslide, but you're going to get better. I promise. Yeah. So before we let you go, um, dear listener, I'd like to harken back to our original podcast that two OG types might remember, but uh, I'll assume you're here because you're readers as well as fans of the genre. So after you're finished reading these great, amazing, awesome books, please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms. Your reviews help the right reader find the right books. So do your thing, people. Uh, and I hear at the uh, hundredth, hundredth review, the author gets a really cool unicorn. And I happen to know that Jim would like to know what a unicorn steak tastes like. So, so do it for him. <laughs> do it for Jim. All right. Cool. Uh, I, had to, I had to lighten the mood a little bit. It's, it's going to have to go some to be better than Kobe, Kobe steak in Japan. I just want elk. And now I feel like a road trip is in order so we can try all the steaks and figure out which one is the steak. Yeah, so please make sure you but, uh, So please make sure you Support the podcast. So, you folks, you folks uh, Jim, <laughs> thank you. So, Jim, uh, JL Curtis, as his publishing name is, how can listeners and viewers find you? Uh, yeah. Do I really want to know? Uh, Again, you're looking at me. OLDNFO.org is my blog. That also has a link to my books. Uh, they can find me on Amazon under J.L. Curtis. And I'm on Facebook as Jim Curtis. And I don't do Twitter. I don't do uh, much of that crap. I do MeWe. Uh, again, Jim Curtis. And that's about it. And then a few of us do a Oh, <laughs> I have a YouTube channel, OLD NFO. Uh, we do a live stream a couple of times a week, which usually goes even further off the rails than this it interview does, it did. It doesn't even start on the rails. Well, we're a block from the rails, <laughs> so we're close. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I enjoy hearing from readers. I do appreciate the feedback. And uh, I will echo what JR said about Please give us honest reviews. Uh, that is critical. And the 50 and 100 reviews on Amazon 
are really break points for the books to succeed. So that's all I've got. All right. What about you, Log Log? How can they find you on the wild, wild interwebs? Yeah. Hmm. Um, I've got a blog for certain reasons. I can't blog at it much right now. That'll change in the future. My Amazon page is uh, D Law Dog because Amazon is stupid and won't take metronyms. Um, I've got a Law Dog page at Facebook. That's my public page. And I have an uh, Ian McMurtry page um, for folks that uh, I've, I've met. If I don't know you, you send me a friend. I don't know you. And I, I won't. And there's a lot of privacy. Yeah. Um, other than that, I can appreciate it. Say again. I said I can really appreciate that. Yeah. Other than that, find me at a con. Yeah. Um, I do Liberty Con whenever they're in the paint. I'll do Liberty Con. Uh, looks like I'm getting dragged to Tolcon in Tulsa this year. Yeah. Um, and I I usually let uh, folks know which cons I'll go to, and if you don't mind scraping me off the ceiling after introducing yourself, I'll. <laughs> I'm okay. <laughs> now, I'm usually two cocktails deep before we do the no shit there I was panel at Liberty Con. Seriously. Because I in front of I, that many people, I can't talk unless I'm two cocktails deep. I think 90% of the room is at least two cocktails deep. <laughs> yeah, but not Just out of saying. not out of sense of self-preservation. Uh, yeah, they don't let us navy folks on that panel. We have to do our own panel later at night. Yeah, <laughs> that's because you're all semen. Bad, bad. And on that happy joke, um, <laughs> you can find us, dear listener, on our Twitter at sf underscore fantasy underscore show, Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email the show at blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. Again, blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. We have a Facebook group where all the shenanigans happen over at facebook.com backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast. Be sure to comment when we post it on any questions you have, and we'll make sure they see it to answer. Uh, we also appreciate the feedback. If there's things you want to see or your books you'd like us to review, that's the place to do it or the email. Of course, we have our website, which is anchor.fm backslash blasters, tack and tack blades again, anchor.fm backslash blasters dash and dash blades. Uh, you can support the show over on anchor.fm as well, where you could set up a monthly reoccurring payment, much like a Patreon model. Again, that's anchor.fm backslash blasters, tack and tack blades, or you can support the show on a one-time basis at buy me a coffee dot com backslash author jr hanley again buymeacoffee.com backslash author jr hanley be sure to put in the comment section that it's for the podcast and i promise i will keep doc seska and nick garber duly intoxicated they will drink until their liver surrenders never surrender never quit she would have said that sooner but she's already intoxicated because you guys were nice to us in season one <laughs> all right doc bring us home Thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. Um, for Nick Garber, J.R. Handley, and myself, please, if you're having any of these issues, reach out. Find somebody to reach out to. If nothing else, you can reach out to one of us because we do understand this issue. Um, and mental health is important. And that is my public service announcement. On to the rest of the list where I get to razz JR because he loves pineapple on pizza, but is in denial. 
This was the last year's Blaze podcast, and where we indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, torturing JR, pineapple and pizza, and of course, pit, all things sci fi and fantasy and anything that goes boom. <laughs> all right. And on that note, she's wrong. Pineapple on pizza is Harrison. Pineapple on pizza is great. Oh, it's not.